In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. By grace you have been saved through faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, you can't get any more familiar Bible passages, but that can be a problem. We often don't consider the verses on either side of them, but not today. We're going to consider some of those other verses, especially, for example, the last verse of the epistle, which points out that we are God's workmanship. And then there's the last verse of the gospel, where Jesus clearly says that whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What comes to the light these days? You know what it is? It's all those ones and zeros that make up the records of what we've done digitally. Who has in Googled his or her own name to find out how much is up there? And that's just a little of it. There are all these information policies, but you know, once that information is out there, you can't take it back, like a word out of your mouth. But think about it, shouldn't our lives be open books? Well, of course, and that's why our politicians promise us transparency. Ah, uh, yeah, but just try to get some of that hidden information through the uh, Freedom of Information Act. Except for our previous president's tweets, much of what happens in government remains hidden from our view. Now, wishing some things weren't available for everyone to read all about it, that's not new, not really. And we see it in today's readings. For example, the Israelites in the desert. I think they would have preferred that Moses' diary, read Genesis through Deuteronomy, to have been put through a shredder than for each generation around the world to read about how they grumbled about the food. Oh, too bad. I mean, they had to reach all the way down to the ground to pick up the manna, and, and they probably had to hit with clubs the quail that were coming right to them every evening for dinner. And of course, if, if they were living today, well, then they'd have something to grumble about, right? I mean, the gasoline prices are starting to go up. The mail takes several days to get here from only 3,000 miles away, the other side of the country. And if you want free delivery, why? You have to pay annually to belong to Amazon Prime or Walmart Plus. Rumble, rumble. Yeah, well. In the epistle, the Christians in Ephesus, I'm sure, would have preferred also that Paul either limit his remarks to his epistle or at least give instructions to burn it after it was read. And even though he included himself, did he have to write that they once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind? Well, um, 
since that's what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, then uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But after all his thanksgivings for grace, Paul has to spend the rest of his epistle reminding them again and again, walk in love, put on the new self, and on and on. How embarrassing. Although today, you know, when you think about it, the very vices that he's condemning are the things that try to entice us to watch TV shows, movies, and at times even the news. Hmm. And then there's the gospel reading. In case you've forgotten, John 3.16 and the rest of it come from Nicodemus who came to Jesus under cover of night when it was dark. Now, he was a member of the ruling class, the, the Sanhedrin, and he was always vulnerable to criticism and scandal, and not to mention he could get censured by some of the other members. Were his visit found out, his political career, career might have had more problems than that of Andrew Cuomo or Ted Cruz. Well, all those comparisons are just to point out that people haven't changed very much. And Jesus' words should speak to us directly today without any translation problems. Now as then, we'd rather not come to the light lest our deeds should be exposed. And you know what they are, our private emails being read, our cloud-based backups decrypted, our checkbooks published, our cell phone conversations overheard. It can all be used as evidence against us. And we all know we're guilty, along with God's Old Testament people, the church at Ephesus, and even Nicodemus. What went through your mind earlier when we all confessed I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Uh, sometimes the confession is just words, and we don't even think about them. They just come out. But then some evidence of sin, like those digital records, is lurking out there somewhere, and we need to confess those. I mean, is it really forgiven? I, I think it's almost like the way we get our garbage ready. You know, we have to put it into recycling or not. But there's a big difference which we could consider this morning. We have to separate, think about it, our physical evidence of recent days into recyclables that can be reused. Empty boxes, snail mail, broken plastics, and so on. And those that go in the garbage can, those that are destined for only burial in the landfill, spoiled food, unwanted mixed containers, stained items, and so on. Where would you put your empty promises, angry words, broken relationships, spoiled intentions, mixed messages, stained friendships. And to which cart would those go? And you know, we really don't want anybody digging into either of those physical carts. 
Both contain evidence, not only of where you live, but a lot more. Yeah, shining a light on what we want to keep secret would be a glaring mistake. In his fanciful book, so the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis has a senior devil writing to his nephew, a junior devil, about God's light. And he reflects that humans do not start from that direct perception of him, which we unhappily cannot avoid. They have never known that ghastly luminosity, that stabbing and searing glare, which makes the background of permanent pair, uh, pain in our lives. Ah, but it all depends on who is shining the light on whom. And there is a gracious surprise in store for all of God's people in history and for us today, when God exposes our lives to his light. Consider the people in those readings today. Right after our excerpt from uh, Numbers 21, there's a list of battles which the Israelites won. And at the end of them, the Lord said to Moses, do not be afraid of the king of the Amorites, for I have handed him over to you with his whole army and his land. And so they defeated him and they possessed his land. Indeed, whenever the Israelites would look back at this part of their history, in spite of all their grumbling and complaining and errors, they would see that the evidence points directly to God and his fighting for them. It was pure grace that they had been saved. And of course, the beauty of John 3.16 is that it sets forth in no uncertain terms who did what for whom. As Deaconess Karen pointed out in her online presentation of the hymn we just sang, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The evidence of God's loving the whole world is Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, although Nicodemus came to Jesus under cover of the darkness, in the light of faith, he understood eventually about the rebirth of water and the spirit. You might remember that it was Nicodemus who provided the costly myrrh and aloes with which the ladies were going to anoint Jesus' body on Good Friday. Imagine how he felt on Easter morning. Well, the same is true for the Ephesians. Again, that last verse in the epistle, it's remarkable. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If Paul calls to remind the, uh, if he writes to remind the Ephesians about their previous condition, it's always as a contrast, a contrast to their present situation. Rather than berate them for what had been wrong way back when, he points out that their present life is indeed empowered by God. They, we, are God's workmanship. But look, God has only remade us so that we could do God good works. He's done more than that. He's even prepared beforehand 
for us to do them. Now, whenever I read this verse, I picture a doorway with Jesus holding the door open and inviting me to walk through. The future to which he invites us is bright with opportunity. Now, when you hold the door for somebody else to walk through, you don't thank them for putting one foot in front of the other and getting through that door. No, that person will thank you for holding the door open and, in fact, urging them to walk through. With Jesus holding the door open, we thank him for giving us whatever opportunity he has set up. And in faith, then we walk through. Again, when seen in the light of Scripture, the evidence is clear. It's always God at work. So, while we were sinners without Christ, we would have tried to avoid the glare of his light. But with the light of the gospel, we see what God has done for us. In the analogy of recycling, when God shines his light on the evidence of what we'd like to have kept under wraps, there's really nothing to hide there. No matter how we may have divided our deeds, it's all been forgiven. Not only has our Lord paid for what we'd like to think, oh, it wasn't too bad, our unfortunate thoughts, words, and deeds, he's also paid for our fault, our own faults, our own most grievous faults. And like that recycling truck's extended arms, our Lord took them all up to the cross, to his own recycling plant, the cross and empty tomb. We haven't done anything. It's pure grace. And just as used aluminum and paper are available for new uses, so we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And just what are those works? Remember that right after our confession at the beginning of this service, we said to one another, the Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. We said that because we know he's done that already for each of us. And as his workmanship, the door that he holds open for us primarily is to go and forgive each other and perhaps people who think that part or all of their lives are like that spiritual garbage cart, unforgiven or unforgivable. Now, it might seem a little unusual and out of place on a day when a Lutheran text, saved by grace, is read. But there is this interesting example of someone trying to walk through that door. Yeah, it was the Pope of all people. He went to Iraq last week. He held a mass in Mosul and then preached in nearby Karakash, where there he is preaching by a destroyed church building. What did he say? The road to a full recovery may still be long, but I ask you please not to grow discouraged. What is needed is the ability to forgive, but also the courage to not give up. He came so close, but he didn't say was that because of Christ's death and resurrection, 
They had been given that opportunity to forgive. He left out the cross. He didn't lift high the cross, as we sang at the beginning of this service. And many of them, I'm sure, did not realize they'd all been forgiven for everything. And when we contact and meet other people, not everyone realizes or believes that today. You need not hope, however, that your friend is going to find some other evidence for possible forgiveness. Since you have become God's workmanship, you are living, breathing evidence. And as that evidence, what door might our Lord open inviting you to walk through? Might it mean going to a friend or family member, bringing him or her your and God's pardon and forgiveness? Might it mean an unexpected moment when you could exhibit God's forgiveness? I mean, I don't know what he's got in store, but whenever that door opens, how about being the evidence and telling them through your words and deeds that God so loved the world that they have been saved by grace through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.